What do you think the greatest hindrance to Christianity in our country is? Have a think about it. Many years ago, it said that a missionary in India had the occasion to put this very question to Mahatma Gandhi, who was a leader in India, the, the Prime Minister of India um, back after the Second World War, which is many years ago, but he's, he's a figure who's been famous. His answer was swift and decisive. Christians... He was talking about those who bear the name of Christ. He was talking about those who bear the name Christian. But judging by the way they talk and behave, no one would suspect they have anything to do with Christ. Our passage today in Matthew 5 shows that all who know Christ should live in a way that impacts those around them. Today we'll take a look at some of Christ's teaching for us as we live for him in the 21st century. The same message that he had for those back in the first century. We live in challenging times, but so did the early Christians. We live in a society that is fast becoming anti-Christian and embracing secular, ungodly stances in both expectations of people and their outlook on life. That is, until many of them face death and have to face the harsh reality of death and dying outside of Christ, when the statement, there are no atheists in trenches, becomes a reality. So what is God saying to us today? Have you heard folks say, do unto others, or refer to the salt of the earth, or don't hide your light. Just regular people conveying biblical values, even if they're sometimes taken right out of context. But nevertheless, they're words of wisdom from Jesus as he taught those, taught his disciples and those who had gathered to listen to him. There were crowds of people. So Jesus went up the mountainside, sat down, and his disciples came to him. And he began to teach them. His focus was to train his listeners to live in such a way that reflects the things in life that really matter. He clearly indicates priorities for our walk with him and for all those who want to follow him. Verse 3 says, God blesses those who realise their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is given to them. This one-line verse is vitally important. In it we have Jesus' announcement of favour to a special group of people, to those who recognise him for who he is and recognise why he came. In fact, our lives are worth nothing in this life or in eternity, unless each one of us recognises, one, who Jesus is, and two, what he did by dying on the cross and asks him through his power to forgive us and to erase our sin, which he promises to do. And three, our need to live for him. With this as the focus guiding our thoughts and actions. It's a high calling, 
It's a real challenge, not one we can accomplish without his help. Yes, it's difficult. But Christ doesn't ask us to do it without his help. He willingly offers because he knows that we cannot live acceptably without it. Let us remember that the kingdom of heaven, the environment in which he rules, is the opportunity for people to live with God as transformed people. This opportunity is given to those who realise their need for him and act on this realisation, relying on him to make it possible. He has gone back to his father, but he left his people here to show others the way to share eternal life. That means he's left you and I here. We've come to know him, those of us who know him, and he has a purpose for us. Our role as God's people in the world can be defined by two words in today's reading, salt and light, mentioned in verses 13 and 14. That's where I'll be focusing. Matthew 5.13 says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. A few weeks ago, I was watching TV and I heard a sermon about this passage and it got me thinking, and that's why I've chosen to look into it. Why would Christ refer to his people as salt and as light? Excuse me. Now, what do these mean? Salt is one of the most important compounds in man's existence. It's found all around and throughout most parts of the world. Without salt, the human body would cease to function. Without salt, most foods would lose their savour. Do you know the word sugar doesn't appear in the Bible? Not even once. In ancient times, salt was the ultimate seasoning that gave taste to food. And without salt, food would be tasteless. Many people have gone to great lengths to obtain it. There were groups in Papua New Guinea before the white traders were present who established trading routes where they traded valuables with people who had salt or with groups who would make salt by burning salty timber and storing the ash, wrapping it up and trading these bundles for other goods. Village folk that we worked among described the meal of vegetables they ate as food or as salsoing, tasteless stuff to eat devoid of salt and taste. Some farmers, and they might be here in the congregation, but I know some farmers put out bags of mineral salts for their animals, and there are more ingredients in the, in the uh, mineral salts than just salt, but the purpose is to pr- provide salt and nutrition for the animals. The goal is that they will eat what they want, and they do, and no more. It's a little bit like a large block of chocolate kept at home that the whole family can eat as they like. But with the important difference that it's actually good for you and everybody's body will tell them 
when they've had sufficient without overeating. So you don't. If animals don't have sufficient salt and minerals, they will not do well. It reflects in their bodies, for sheep, in their wool, in their colouring, um, their general well-being. So salt, as well as being everywhere and essential to life and adding savour to food, becomes enjoyable and not bland. This is a picture of uh, our lives for the world. As God's people, we are to be everywhere. His people are to be everywhere. means not shut off because it's a bit bad over there. We're to be living in our communities in a manner that interests them, is attractive to them, in a way that adds savour to the community, in a way that adds or offers a truly desirable characteristic to life and is pleasant to be around. I'm not saying being people-pleasers, but I'm saying being people who are pleasant to be around. In Papua New Guinea, you could tell there was something different about some villages. Some had a sense of light and peace, others of spiritual darkness. Some were open and friendly, others closed, unfriendly and not particularly safe for those not connected to the people who lived there. The villages in Teterai, where we lived at one time on the Rai coast of Madang province in Papua New Guinea, warned me about leaving my dinghy with its motor and spare fuel on the beach at Wab, about um, six nautical miles, or 10, 11 kilometres across the bay. And I thought about it and I thought, well, I'll still trust them this once. Let me look into it. So when I went to Sidor, I asked the police and they said, ah, you're known there. We don't anticipate any trouble. Rather, it's those in your village that we've been having problems with. There had been a few incidents where, for payback, they felled a tree across the road so vehicles had to stop. There's no police out there, there's not many vehicles, and so it was a way they were getting back at people. You see, Tatarai village was a dark village. We thought by going there initially we could be salt and light. We moved to where there was more light and I believe had a greater impact as we were encouraging national Christians who were there involved in ministry uh, to them as well as translating scripture with them. As well as being everywhere and essential to life and adding savour for food, salt was both an important and a valuable commodity in the ancient world. Have you been asked, is he worth his salt? This is an interesting term, full of meaning. It goes back to the ancient world. It's mentioned in the Old Testament, in Ezra 6.9, in the context of pay to the Persian king's servants. According to the Roman writer Pliny the Elder, Roman soldiers were to be paid in salt. It's where the word salary comes from, the Latin word salarium. Salt was the basis of much trade and commerce. Areas that were rich in salt traded this compound for gold, silver and fine cloth. For ancient governments, salt was an important source of tax revenue. In Tibet... Ethiopia and other parts of Africa, 
salt cakes were used as money. Covenants or treaties were frequently ratified by the exchange of salt. Salt symbolised the endurance and the faithfulness both partners would show the covenant. Why was salt so valuable? Long before freezers and refrigerators were invented, and long before people were able to put meats, fruits and vegetables into sealed jars, there was only one thing that kept food from spoiling. Salt. Only salt kept vast stores of food from rotting. Only salt stood between people and hunger during the winter months or dry season. Then there was another characteristic. In many places in the Middle East, land is quite acidic. The only way this land could become productive was by spreading a little bit of salt on it. In this way, the salt acted like a fertiliser and promoted life and growth. However, too much salt could also destroy land. In the ancient world, it was the practice of conquering armies to spread large volumes of salt on the agricultural land of a defeated enemy. This would make the land infertile for at least 10 years. Salt can then both prevent decay and in small quantities it acts as a fertiliser. Truly, Christ used the illustration of us being salt for good reason. Because if we're living for him, we can have an influence far beyond what we think we might be able to. Even now, if people or animals don't have it, they search for it, because life is not the same without it. Our refined or purified table salt doesn't go off, but when people had raw salt or other ways of getting their salt that wasn't the refined salt that we have today. Perhaps the junk left at the bottom of a container, it would not be really worth using because it really was junk. Christ said to us in Mark, have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another. As salt, we're called to be true disciples, friendly and kind, living at peace with everyone and welcome because our impact makes a difference that's noticed, and attractive because God's values stand out as something special that many people are missing and long for. The other metaphor is light. In verse 14, we're told, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Again, this verse refers to, the posit- refers to positive characteristics that enable us to have an impact on those around us. Light removes darkness. Have you ever lit a match or taken a candle into a pitch dark room? Isn't it amazing? It makes a real difference and of course more candles one by one also add significantly to the change. Light at times then builds confidence as it removes uncertainty. 
It shows the way forward. As light, we're called to show the way. Without light, we bump into each other and fall into the ditch. But light says, here is the road, take it. Here is danger, avoid it. Without light and salt, the world would be in very bad shape, uninteresting and impossible to live in. With light and salt, the world becomes a safer and a better place. It's our duty as Christians to make the world a better place. But how do we do that? The same way that salt and light do it. First, salt must be different from the food before it can be of use. If salt loses its taste, then it's useless and it can no longer make a difference. Light must be different from darkness in order to be of help. A torch with dead batteries is no good for somebody in the dark. How far can you see a light? Think of a lighthouse with its reflection that shows way out to sea. Or if you're in a dark spot, you'll see car headlights for miles and miles and miles. Light makes a difference. So being salt and light of the world means being different to the world. If believers have nothing that distinguishes them from unbelievers, then they're like that raw contaminated salt that really isn't what people want to have. Therefore, it can't make a difference. You think a bit of rubbish salt in the bottom of a bag is not going to be something that people are asking for. They'll just leave it unless they're desperate. And what distinguishes us from non-believers should not be so much what we claim to be, but the life that we live. As Jesus says in John 13, 35, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love is the distinctive mark by which you can tell the true Christian from the false. Secondly, both salt and light operate by associating with the thing they want to change. Salt cannot improve food unless it goes into the food and changes it from within. Light cannot show the way unless it encounters the darkness. Sometimes Christians think that the way to go is to keep away from getting involved with society and popular culture. Even though it's rough, we need to be there. By shying away from the realities of our society, we will most likely be hiding our lamp under a covering that blocks out most or all of the light. To make a difference, we must get up and be involved. Today's gospel is frightening. It says, in effect, that if there is so much darkness and bitterness in the world today, it's because we, as God's people, have failed in our job to be salt and light to the world around us, as we should have. But we can decide to make a difference, starting from today. We are but candles in a dark world. The effects of sin are reflected in so many ways 
in greed and selfishness where people are simply treated as things. It's debilitating at times. Many people are depressed. However, we can decide to light a candle rather than curse the darkness. Even the smallest candle helps in a world of darkness and two or three add significantly to the effects of one. (coughs) As salt and light, we're representatives of the one who said, I am the light of the world. Yet he says of us, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. How can it be said, how can it be that Jesus said he is the light of the world and yet he's calling us the light of the world? John 9 verse 5 gives us the answer. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. When Jesus came and lived on earth, he was the light of the world. As John 8.12 says, Jesus spoke again to the people and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But when Jesus left, he was calling us the light of the world. Jesus stands before us as saviour and lord, redeemer and teacher. We can never divide Jesus in two. We can't take him in half measure, choose this bit or that bit, but no, we don't want the other. It is all or nothing. It's not religion or going to church on Sunday or to a prayer meeting and thinking we've done our bit. That's the key. Each of us have a calling to know Christ and to live for him. The forgiven life and the holy life are, in Jesus' view, two sides of the same coin. He was the light of the world when he was on earth among us. But when he returned to heaven, he commissioned those who belonged to him to take his message and his role and to be the light of the world until he returns. We have that commission. We are salt, which he has placed on earth. Let's seek to be of true value to the earth and of eternal value to those who live on the earth. So as we go into this week, let us consider our role as Christ's people and how we can live like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Let's pray. Father, it's easy to read your words. We can think about them, but it's hard to live them. And yet, Father, you don't expect us to live them in our own strength. You have offered us salvation. You have offered us a relationship with you. Father, help each one to have ears to listen. Help each of us to desire that relationship and to grow in you. Father, help us to trust you that where you lead us into a place of darkness, 
you have a purpose for us. And if we look to you, you will help us to be light and salt that you are asking us to be. So Father, as we go from here in the days ahead, we need you and we look to you to guide us and to enable us to cleanse us as we go wrong, to heal us and to help us to live for you so that we can be a part of your people making a difference in this community wherever you've placed us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.